we started a series um, last week that we're calling Glimpses of the Gospel. And uh, glimpses, we kind of unpacked both of those words because they're both kind of important. We talked about the word glimpse being kind of this, um, I don't know, fun uh, word, this word that, that means like a little peek or seeing a little part. It's not the whole picture. It's just sort of a snippet of it. We said glimpses were like maybe kids trying to get a glimpse of the Christmas present at Christmas or if you're trying to get your hand into that uh, pile of cookie dough before you've made the cookies. You're just getting a little bit, a little taste. It's not an exact mirror reflection. It's not perfect 100%. It's more like this, where it's a little broken, but it's a glimpse. You can still get the gist. You still get the idea. You still see things, but it may not be as clear as the mere reflection. We said glimpse of the gospel. And we defined the gospel like this. We said it's the good news of the reconciling power of Jesus Christ for our lives now and into eternity. Right, the good news of the reconciling power of Jesus Christ for our lives now and into eternity. We unpacked that definition last week. If you weren't here, check it out online. You'll get to hear that definition unpacked. We highlighted the word now this week. Last week, really highlighting the word reconciliation, reconciling. Highlighted that word now because this relationship with Jesus, this thing we call the gospel, has a right now component. It's not just for when I die and go to heaven but it has a right now component, impacts our lives today, right? Now, sometimes we miss that. And we said that this glimpse of the gospel is readily seen in the most intimate relationships, we said family relationships. Matter of fact, if you look on the walls on both sides of the auditorium, you'll see all these pictures of families. We've been asking for pictures of families for a while. It's kind of funny because some of them gave us pictures from like 600 years ago. Okay, probably like 40 years ago. But it's really funny because it just smells like 1977, right? It's fantastic over in this area. Uh, And then we got pictures that are really contemporary and current. It's very cool to kind of look at those concepts of family and they're all different kinds of families. Some are, are couples, some have kids, some don't, some are older, some are younger. It's just this idea that families give these glimpses of the gospel. Even in a season like Christmas, where sometimes our dysfunctions just sort of pour out a little more than not, you might have to dig a little deeper to find some of those glimpses of the gospel. But they're there because we think that families were created to give this picture, this glimpse of my relationship with God. So this relationship that I share in a family, it's a mere image, a a broken one maybe, a mere image of this relationship that we can have with God. And last week we unpacked the first family relationship. We're going to look at lots of different ones over these last couple weeks of the series. But but last week we started with what I think is like the penultimate one, and that's the, the relationship between husbands and wives. We talked about that last week. If you weren't here, you can check that out. Today... We want to talk about a different one. Here's what we're saying. We're saying the series is a calling to think differently about our family relationships. That if they're supposed to be glimpses of the gospel, let's make them the best and clearest glimpse possible. And so today we unpacked, I want to unpack the, the second uh, most glimpsiest. Is that, I don't know if that's a word, but it is now. It's out there. The most, second most glimpsiest um, kind of family relationship. And that's the relationship of parent to child. Parent-kid relationship. This relationship. Now, I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're a little older and your, parent, uh, your kids are grown and gone. And so you're thinking of it from that perspective. And maybe you're, you're uh, younger or you've just never had kids because that's the choice you made or that's the lot gave, gave, God gave you or whatever it is. And so you're thinking, okay, how does this apply to me? Just let's walk through this together because I think there's stuff in here for all of us. Even if you're far away from parenting or if some of you in the back row who are barely staying awake right now are in the throes of parenting, you know what I'm talking about? 
and you're like, just give me more coffee. Hey, my kids are in Kids World. Praise Jesus for Courtney and Kids World, right? Okay, wherever you're at with this parenting thing, we want to just unpack that a little bit today. Here's, here's where I want to start. Uh, uh, 22 years ago, uh, I was uh, a kid. I was a kid. I was a 20-something-year-old kid. I was in college. I was at a Christian school. I was doing all this training to be a pastor. I was in ministry. And I was thinking to myself back then, I was thinking, hey, I'm kind of finally getting this whole sacrificing for others thing. Like I was a youth pastor and all these kids were like in my home all the time or in, and destroying my vehicle all the time and like they're pouring out all their drama that I'm just like this is, I'm, I'm giving and I'm serving and I'm, I'm finally getting maybe what it's like, like as God, you know, gives and serve or whatever. I'm thinking, okay, I'm kind of getting this picture of God to people because I'm in this real serving relationship with students. And then, and then 21 years ago, this event happened to me where I got married and it was this cool thing. We got married. It was awesome. And then the, the next day, I started realizing, oh my gosh, now I've got to figure out how to deal with this person. I mean deal in the best possible way, by the way. Like, I gotta figure, like, like this person is a morning person, and she expects me when we wake up in the morning before my cups of coffee to say hello. <laughs> That's not even possible. It's not even human, right? So, so all of a sudden, I'm in this marriage relationship, and you, you guys that, that have been married, you kind of maybe know that first year is like a real learning curve, right? And you're learning all this stuff. And so after this time is going on, I'm, I'm like, oh, man, I'm kind of figuring out what it's like, like, like this relationship with God, like people in God, because I'm serving this woman and I'm giving for this woman and I'm sacrificing some of my will. Like I can't just do whatever I want, whatever I want. I have to like, you know, let her know and I got to be nice. <laughs> and I got, like I, I'm doing these things, man. I'm, I'm finally figuring out maybe what it's like to be God a little bit because I'm in this relationship where I'm giving and serving and then three years after that, we had this other event in our life where we had this baby. This baby showed up. And it was real quick. This learning curve was, looked like that. Because all of a sudden I realized I have no clue about sacrifice or giving. Because there's this thing in our home that just constantly takes and takes and takes and takes. Are you with me? And takes and sucks and takes. And like, baby's beautiful, I get it. But man, it's just like you feed it at one in the morning and it doesn't care. It's hungry at three. Right? And it lets you know by screaming at you. This thing like just takes and takes and it's given nothing back. You see, I kind of realized that, that all those times I sacrificed for my wife or did these nice things, I was really getting something back. You know, maybe I'd, I'd do something kind for her. She'd give me a kiss on the cheek. I was like, oh, that's nice. Or I'd say something right or, or, or do a chore or something and she'd give me that look like, oh, you're the best or whatever. But there was some give and take. Are you tracking with me? But we had that baby. It's all give. I'll give, right? There's no... Now, I know some of you are thinking, no, when that baby coos, that just melts my heart. And you're wrong. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. I get it. <laughs> I get it. It's beautiful. I don't get it. I mean, I hear you. It's beautiful, whatever. But the reality is that babies just... Like, here's where I maybe got a little real glimpse of what it's like between me and God sometimes. Because I got to wonder if sometimes God is up in heaven just going, Chris, you just take and take and take and take. And God is so good to give and give and give. And I often think, what does God get out of this relationship, right? I don't know. I, I, I used to think it was more like a marriage relationship. I think it's more like a parent-kid relationship because I know that I get so much more out of it than God does. Why are we talking about all that? Here we are, because we're talking about this relationship that gives a glimpse of the gospel, this parent-child relationship. Good parents go all out for their kids, right? 
It doesn't mean that they give them everything that they want or what they demand. It doesn't mean that the kids rule the home. It doesn't mean that there's no discipline because a lack of discipline is actually shows a lack of love, right? But it does mean that you would do anything for your kid. Like we use a phrase like the mama bear syndrome. Do you know this? Yeah, first service wasn't sure what this meant either. <laughs> I think I have to explain it. Here's Becca, my oldest, <clears throat> was in fourth grade. Fourth grade, that's like how old? Like what, nine, ten? Is that... Nine, is it right in there, nine and ten? So she's like a little nine-year-old. They're like little, and they're all adorable and cute and stuff. She's in like fourth grade, and she comes home for a few days and was telling us that there was this boy. Uh, I, don't, I don't remember his name. I named him Jeremy now. I don't know why. I think that might have been his name. I don't remember it. But uh, she said Jeremy's coming home, and he's bugging her. He's touching her. He's putting his hands on her. He's chasing her around, touching her, and then run away and touching her. And it was bugging her. And I said, does it make you feel uncomfortable? She says, yeah. It's making What do I do, Dad? And I said, you kick him in the teeth. No, I didn't say that because that's not good parenting. I said, you use your words, right? I said, like, you, you, you got to tell Jeremy. And since he's a boy, you have to be abundantly clear that you don't want that anymore. That, that needs to stop. You don't appreciate that. She said, okay. So we practiced some phrases, you know, that she could use. And so she goes to school the next day and she comes home. And I said, hey, how did it go with Jeremy today? And she says, not good. I said, what happened? She goes, yeah, I, I told him and he's still, he's still touching me. He thought it was funny and he's putting his hands on me in places that I just don't feel I'm not comfortable with that. And, and I said, well, what did you say to him? Was it clear? And she said, I told him, don't touch me. That seemed pretty clear, right? She said, don't touch me. I don't appreciate that. And so that seemed pretty clear. And I said, well, Becca, do you want me to come to school tomorrow and explain it to him for you? Now, I think I'm telling this story partly to confess because I don't know if I'm proud of what I did or if I'm ashamed by it. I'm still conflicted. It's been years. I'm still wondering. This, so the next day I went to school, Becca and I, we walk up to school uh, hand in hand and they were starting to line up for their classes. And I said, which one is he? And she pointed him out over there. And I said, that one? She goes, yeah. And I don't know that she was like sure that I was really going to do this. So all of a sudden she kind of walked the other way. Do you know what? I, okay, yeah. And I went over to this boy and I said, I'm not kidding. That's the, are you Jeremy? I don't have a deep voice, but I've, are you Jeremy? And he's like, uh-huh. And I said, do you know who Rebecca Carter is? And he goes, uh-huh. I said, Here's the deal. You're not going to touch her or chase her anymore. Are we clear? Now, fourth graders are short. And I'm not a big guy, but I think the fourth graders, so, and, and he goes, uh-huh. I said, I shouldn't even laugh. I need you to repeat it to me. <laughs> and he says, I'm not going to touch her or chase her anymore. I'm all, that's good. Otherwise, we're going to have problems. And I walked away, and I thought, yeah, I'm protecting my child. And I got in my car and started driving home, and I think, I think I almost assaulted a fourth grader. <laughs> and I don't know, honestly, if I'm, proud of that or not, but I just tell that story because we do things for our kids because that relationship is special and unique, right? There's something about that relationship that we do things for our kids that we just wouldn't maybe do anywhere else. What we're saying is that the parent-child relationship is a glimpse of the gospel. How you show love, sacrifice, how you go all out for your kids is a mere image, even if it's a broken image, of a glimpse of the gospel. So here's where we want to go today. I want to play with a question, and that's kind of going to shape what we talk about this morning. Here's the question. You really can't answer it to me. I know that. But I just want you thinking about it. Here's the question. Why does God describe his relationship with Jesus in a a parent-child context? In other words, why does God call Jesus his son? Why does Jesus call God his father? Why was that relationship utilized 
to describe their relationship. Because, because we know that God and Jesus existed in all time. It wasn't like God woke up one day and said, hey, I'm going to make a Jesus or something like that. Like they both existed in Genesis 1 and 2. It says they created the world, they created man in their own image. So we know God and Jesus existed for all eternity in the past. So why the parent-child relationship? Why was that employed to describe God and Jesus' relationship? Because maybe in my head I think, well, other relationships could have been used that, that might have made some sense, like a brother. Like if God had been like, this is my brother Jesus. Like that would, we would have understood the equality in that. That would have made some, some sense, I think. Or maybe using terms like, oh, this is my best friend, or maybe coworker or partner. I mean, there's, there's other terms, other family-style relationships that could have been used for God to describe Jesus, but he calls him his son. Why is that? Let me show you a couple places. I just want you to see it so you know I'm not making it up. Uh, Luke chapter uh, 1, right when Jesus is going to come onto the planet for the first time. So he's coming out of heaven, out of God's presence to be on the planet. You know the story. You've probably read it already in the season that we're in. Chapter 1 of Luke, verse 30, says this. Uh, But the angel said to her, angels come talking to Mary, do not be afraid, Mary, you found favor with God. Uh, You will conceive and give birth to a son, and and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him his throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One that will be born will be called the Son of God. So right from the beginning, as Jesus is going to come onto the planet, like, like God wants to make it clear that this, this is his son. Like there's this relationship he utilizes right from the beginning. Over in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus has been on the planet for some years. Uh, he's just about ready to step into what they call public ministry. So he's kind of been doing the carpenter thing with his uh, earthly uh, stepfather for a while. And now he's going to jump into ministry and he goes and he gets baptized. And this is kind of what happens in that scene. Uh, Matthew chapter 3 verse 16 says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is God speaking from heaven to Jesus. Some other people there heard it. said, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is my son. So the question that we're kind of thinking through is, why did God use that relationship, that construct to describe his relationship with Jesus? Maybe there's lots of answers. I have two. That's what I want to talk about this morning. You'll come up with some more on your own probably, and they they might be uh, uh, equally as good, even better answers. But these are two things that I think are absolutely communicated in that relationship. And these are, this is how it's going to shape out. So number one is this. Kids are made from the same stuff as parents. Like, I think there's something to that in, in the God-Jesus relationship. Kids are made from the same stuff as parents. Now, don't get too far with the made, the word made. I recognize, we recognize God wasn't made, Jesus wasn't made. But, but they're of the same stuff. Kids are of the same stuff as parents. We use phrases like cut from the same cloth, right? It's kind of this sense of equality, the sense of sameness, similarity. Matter of fact, we'll use phrases like, well, she's the spitting image of her mom. That's a weird phrase, right? Spitting image. She's the spitting image of her mom. And we don't always mean like physical, like, oh, they both have blonde hair. Like we often mean like, like character or the things that, that we see in their, who they are as a person. Matter of fact, when you hit age, oh, I don't know, 
20, 25, 30, somewhere in there, you utter this phrase, and it's a beautiful day when you do it for your parents. When you, you know where I'm going? You know exactly where I'm going, right? Where you do something, and on that day you go, oh my gosh, I'm just like my dad. Or, oh my word, I've become my mother, right? And your parents, you know, they get a little uh, uh, root beer or whatever they drink, and they have a little celebration, and they're like, ha ha, right? Because you're like, you're like cut from the same cloth. You're like similar. You're, there's sameness. There's, there's just this, this uniquity to that, the same stuff. John 8, t- take a look at John 8. We'll start in verse um, 14. It's a little long. Just, just hang with me. But um, Jesus talking about him and his relationship with God, he says this. Jesus answered, he's talking to the Pharisees, they're having a conversation. He says, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from. I know what I'm all about and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I came from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father, this concept of sameness, who sent me. In your own law, it's written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. So then they asked him, well, where is your Father? Jesus says, you do not know me or my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. If you know him, you'd know me. If you knew me, you'd know him because the sameness that goes on. Jump over to verse 38. It says, I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence. Jump down to verse 42. Then Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. The concepts of sameness, similarity, cut from the same cloth, spitting image of made from the same stuff. Jesus basically says that he can judge because he's the same as the Father, like he can be his own witness because he and the Father are so similar that if they really knew God, then they would know him. And this is why the Pharisees get so frustrated with Jesus. Matter of fact, at the end of John 8, they pick up rocks to try to kill him because they recognize what he's saying is that, in essence, he's from the same stuff as God. He's on equal playing field. They are so similar. Like they're the same. The Jews picked up on that. Now, now think about this for a second in human parenting relationships. You and your kids. Human parenting relationships. It's a little bit different in the equality realm. I I get that. Like God and Jesus are the same. I know you and your kids aren't the same. There's some sense of authority or order that goes on there. But, But in reality, there's a lot of similarity, right? We use those phrases, cut from the same cloth, spitting image of. And if and if somebody hurts your kid, it's like they're hurting you, right? I mean, you would probably take punches over your kid taking punches, which is why I fronted up to a fourth grade kid who's just being a knucklehead fourth grader, right? Lose my mind a bit because there is some similarity, some sameness from the same stuff. I think, I think that's part of the answer on why God uses this, this description, this family relationship, this parent-child relationship to describe he and Jesus. Here's the second one I think of. The second thing is this. Kids have a special or unique relationship with parents that nobody else has. Kids have a special or unique relationship with parents that nobody else has. Check check out Matthew chapter 11. I want you to see this. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, starting starting in verse 27. Jesus says this. He says, All things have been committed to me by my Father. 
No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. That doesn't mean that, that you can't know God or you can't know Jesus. But, but Jesus is clear in saying, I know God in a unique and special way. And God knows me in a unique and special way because of that relationship that they have that's described as father and son. There is a specialness to that relationship, a uniqueness to that relationship that really nobody else gets to to experience in that same exact way. Check out John chapter 5. It says it like, like this, starting in verse 16. John chapter 5, starting in verse 16. Jesus puts it like this. It says, um, uh, we're dropping you in the middle of the story, but it says, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, Jesus was doing a bunch of stuff on their religious day where they weren't allowed to do certain things, whatever. So the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. And in his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him, not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, what he sees his father doing. Jesus had a unique privilege to see God working in amazing ways. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. This concept of like in the family business. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one but has entrusted all judgment to the son so they may honor the son as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and won't be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Again, this picture of this unique, uh, privileged, special relationship that Jesus and God have. Nobody knows the Father except the Son. There was this exclusive, unique way that God understood Jesus and Jesus understood God. Jesus was comfortable breaking these Sabbath rules because they were rules that had been instituted aside from what God had already said. And so because Dad didn't say it, I don't have to sweat it so much. Right? Everything Jesus did was from the authority of God. He came with Dad's permission, authority, responsibility. And so he felt very confident doing the things that he did. There was this closeness that God and Jesus shared that was unique. Jesus had special rights, privileges, and access that nobody else has. And so think about for a minute parent-human-parent-child relationships, the uniqueness that comes in those relationships, the special connection that comes in those relationships. I mean, kids know their parents better than most people, right? Like, I don't know what you did before you came in here this morning. You all look so happy. You all look so nice and wonderful and stuff like that. But I know that it was probably a truck to get here. I don't know who had to shovel the driveway. Maybe Junior was asked to shovel the driveway. And Junior thought that meant one row and he's, I don't know. And maybe that uh, uh, um, created a conversation between you and Junior. And maybe that conversation got a faster and louder. I have no idea what happened on your way into church. But I don't know. Did you get here and all of a sudden that face, the happy face came on? You know what I mean? My, when I used to go to church uh, with my parents when I was a kid, my mom, she didn't even have to tell me. She just had that look that meant everything's happy now. You know, you know what I'm talking about? 
Like we'd walk in and we might have been in battle in the car. My mom will listen to this online. They're not here today and she's going to give me junk for it, but that's funny. Um, so, so we'd walk into church and we'd have been like battling. I'm just like, Ugh, and she'd look at me like this. And I just knew that was, oh, we're happy. No. And I love, I love North Point because honestly, I don't think we do that a lot here. I don't think we fake it here. I think North Point is an incredibly authentic church where if you've had a crap morning and you come in and you're just like, yeah, uh, snow, I hate snow, I hate winter, Michigan, uh, whatever your thing is, you know, uh, you can be authentic. And I love that. But the point is, kids know their parents. Matter of fact, the world that I live in, this concept of being a pastor, like pastors' kids, so way too often go off the deep end. And a lot of times they do that because uh, maybe the pressure that a church puts on a pastor's family or in pa- and pastor's kids, sometimes it's like they're held to a different standard. But, but way too many times, it's because they know the preacher. <laughs> and so dad gets up here maybe, and talks in certain ways, you, you know what I'm saying? But then he goes home, and, and that kid lives with that guy. He knows the hypocrisy, and so over time, that pushes a kid to a different place. And the same is true for all of us, because kids know us. They know our positives and our negatives. And so there's something unique and special to that relationship, because they know us like nobody else does, right? Kids have special privileges and rights in our lives. Like, for me, in my world, nobody hangs out in my office. Like, you don't, like, if I'm not there, you're not just, like, sitting in my office, hanging out, using my computer. That would be weird, and I'd wonder why you're there. But my kids, my kids can hang out in my office anytime they want to. As a matter of fact, when they were younger, uh, I used to keep hidden drawers of candy in places, and they would know where they are, so that when my kids would come, like if they brought a friend with them to hang out in my office for a little while, they'd know where the secret stash was, right? It was like so cool. They're like, oh, you can have, no, it's okay. My dad says it's okay. My dad says it's okay. And it was okay, because my kids have unique privileges that are just kind of for them. But like if one of your kids like came into my office and started taking my candy, I'd be like, hey, hey buddy, what's going on? That's weird. Right? Our kids have special unique privileges, right? You've taken them to work or they've gotten to be places where they could be only simply because you are who you are. Our kids have special unique rights and privileges and they have special access to us, right parents? that nobody else has. Matter of fact, if, if we're sitting at some point in our lives and I'm sitting and I get the privilege of just counseling you through some issues or whatever, if my phone rings or, or if a text pops in, I will glance at it if it's one of my kids. I'll check it, make sure that they're okay. But if, if we're in a counseling situation and, and my friend Scott texts me, I probably will not glance at it because you're super important. But, but to be frank, my kids are more important, Right? Are we together on this? I just want to make sure I'm not just talking my stuff. Like I will check that text because my kids are pretty. I want to make sure that they're okay, right? They have access to me that nobody else has. I think of like the president of the United States, whoever that is, and in whatever given period of history, doesn't matter. Their kids have unique access to the president that like some of the most high-ranking congressmen cannot, will not, will never, ever have. Isn't that crazy? Like if they pick up the phone and try and call the president, whatever. But if that kid picks up the phone and calls dad, that's a unique access. Okay, so here's where we are. Jesus, God, described the relationship in these parenting terms, this, this concept of uh, unique privilege, unique access, um, it's made from the same stuff, the sameness. Uh, we talked about it like human parenting relationships. We've got all that in our heads. Here's where I want you to think for now, because all that stuff that's true, all that stuff that's true about God and Jesus, that's also true in some capacity in human kid parent relationships, is also true of you and God. This is where the cool thing is. Like that stuff that's true about Jesus and God, the uniqueness, the sameness, the, the, the special access and privilege, it's true between Jesus and God, it's true between you and your kids, but it's also true between you and God. Check this, I want you to see this. John chapter one. 
This is how John puts it. In John chapter 1, starting at verse 11, he says, He came, Jesus came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Like if you have this relationship with Jesus, you have a right to be considered a child of God, a kid of God. Special access, special privileges, kind of the, like you're, you're about the same things. There's a simulator. You're not God. You don't look like God. You're not going to do God like, you, you know, part the Red Sea. Yeah, maybe. I don't think so, you know. But, but this idea is all of a sudden there's this similarity between your will and his will. There's this coolness that comes in being God's kid. Check out how Paul finishes this up in Romans chapter 8. This is how he picks up on this idea and describes it. Chapter 8, starting in verse 14. Uh, Paul says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit that you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Like your relationship with God does not have to be a relationship of slavery or a relationship rooted in fear. Rather, the Spirit that you received brought about your adoption to sonship. You're God's kid. You're God's son. You're God's daughter. Not because you did something magical or special or you're amazing or beautiful or good-looking or super smart, but because God chose to adopt you into his family. And he goes on, he says, And by him, Jesus, we cry, Abba, Father. That word Abba is this Greek word meaning daddy. It's like a term of endearment. It's when Rebecca calls me and calls me Pops, right? She goes, what's up, Pops? I call my dad Pops. Like, it's a term of endearment. If you go over to my dad and call him Pops, it's weird, Right? But for God, when we call him, Paul uses the word daddy because that's the word in the language that they had for this intimate parent-child relationship. He says we can cry out and call Abba, Father, Daddy, God, Papa, Papa. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we're children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And indeed, we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. This idea of being God's Kids, we can know it. We're not wondering or curious or hoping or just crossing our fingers that maybe we're really, like we can know that we're God's kids. And then he calls us heirs, this concept that we're not Cinderella. You know the Cinderella story where like that, that, that evil stepmom or whatever inherited these kids that she didn't dig? It's not like, it's not like God, God was like, okay, guy's my kid, and so now guy, I'm kind of stuck with him, and I don't, really, I don't really know what to do with him. I'll just put him in a corner because he's good at sweeping up. That's not how God views us. He says we're heirs. Not only are we like adopted kids, but we have like a piece of the inheritance. We get a piece of the pie. This is crazy when you think about this, that God... Uh, 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 makes us children to the capacity that we get to inherit whatever that is that he's delivering, his goodness, who he is, his character, heaven, all these things. Like we can inherit a piece of that. It's not the Cinderella story. It's so much better than that. This intimacy, this access, this openness, this, this relationship, this possibility that we have with God, such a glimpse in the parent-kid relationship. Last verse, this is how Paul puts it in in his letter to the church in Galatia. Um, He's talking about this concept, and he says in chapter 3, verse 26, he says this, he says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, 
male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. In other words, there's no hierarchy of kids. It's not like the Jewish kids are more important than the non-Jewish kids or that the female kids, God likes those female kids more than he likes those male kids. It's not that. It's like we're his kids, all of them. And maybe we all have some slightly different capacity of relationship with God, like your own children, right? You love your children the same. Some have a different relationship with you than others. But you love them the same. God loves us the same because you've sinned 17,000 times and somebody else, me, has sinned 17,001. God doesn't like you more than he likes me. That is crazy. God loves us as his children. He's created this opportunity for us to have this relationship with us. Here's how we end. Just a couple of points. The parent-child relationship is a glimpse of the gospel. It's a small picture of the good news of the reconciling power of Jesus now and eternity. How you treat, interact, disciple, prioritize your relationship with your kids, it reflects or it needs to reflect the gospel. Here's the short version. If you've tuned out on everything else, come back to me for five words that I think can capitalize this whole thing. And I stole it from some material called Grace-Based Parenting. You have access to this very cool video-driven curriculum on Right Now Media. This is how they, they describe this concept. Treating our kids the way God treats his. Isn't that rich? Treating our kids the way God treats his. Not only do we get that glimpse from human parent kid relationships, but we see it in the relationship between God and Jesus as well. And it could not be any clearer. So as we close, let me just, three questions and we'll sing. Here they are. Do I treat my kids the way God treats his? Does my relationship with my son or daughter look like the relationship between Jesus and his father? Does parenting in my world give the greatest glimpse of the gospel that it possibly could? Stand, we'll sing a song together and we'll be done.